This is Sylvia Schneider with Equinely Inclined, the equine podcast for the internet horse community. Episode 202, Cat Sturts and the Sheriff's Posse. Recorded on October 28, 2022. Brought to you in part by Pondside Digital Media. You can find out more about Pondside and our equine offerings at www.pondside.com. Hi, I'm Sylvia Schneider and I'm doing well. I hope all of you are doing well too. I'm really looking forward to my guest for this episode. But first, I want to thank the listeners of this podcast because you've been so faithful and so patient and waited such a long time during the pandemic for episode 201 to be published. I have to say it was really interesting trying to get it edited. Well, you know I'm going to go techie here. With a new editing software on a Mac... Because you see, I used to do everything on a PC. I mean, I did that for 20 years, 25 years. And then, after overcoming the editing hurdles, pushing it all out on a new-to-me hosting platform, just wow. (laughs) The good news is the next episode, this one, should be a lot easier to uh, work with. So I knew the podcast was going to go through some pod fade, basically losing listeners simply because it's been such a long time between episodes, but I'm pretty tickled that the podcast still seems to have some reach. The morning of recording this, there were 107 unique downloads since October 16th, 95 of episode 201, and several of the older episodes were downloaded as well. So thanks for listening. This seems like a good time to remind listeners that hundreds of interviews with equine experts, like trainers, veterinarians, Olympic athletes, just some very interesting interviews and information are in the podcast archive. They are free to access, and I'll let you know how to do that later in this episode, along with a suggestion for an episode to listen to that goes very well with the guest interview I have for today. Before I introduce my guest for today, I just want to talk about CO, or carbon monoxide, and no, this is not a sponsored ad, but more of a PSA, a public service announcement, based on my own experience. With many of us spending more time indoors for the cold weather, it's really important to make sure we're not exposed to carbon monoxide, which has no odor, but can occur if you have faulty furnaces or other sources of heat. And this is more common than you might think. (laughs) We did experience this problem last fall, but we didn't realize we were having a CO problem. All we knew is that we were exceedingly tired and headachy. We returned home around midnight after an extended vacation, and our furnace wasn't working properly. We got it working, but I wasn't happy about the situation, so I went searching for a a carbon monoxide detector that I knew we had somewhere. We had never installed it for some reason, which is really silly because it doesn't do very much good if it's sitting in the package. And after installing it, we went to bed. It woke us up an hour into our sleep and was indicating high levels of carbon monoxide. If we hadn't installed the detector, we might have been sound asleep forever. So if you're heading into winter and don't have a CO detector installed, just take the time to find one as it might just save your life. Okay, enough doom and gloom. So today I have a really interesting guest that I met through a non-horsey business channel. And I'm not even sure how I learned that she was a horse person. One with a really interesting background, but I'm so glad that I did. I kept telling her that if I ever got the podcast up and running again, I would really like to have her as a guest. So I'm pleased to welcome Kat Sturtz today to share a little horsey trip down memory lane. Well, hi, Kat. How are you? Hi, Sylvia. It's so nice to have a long talk with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we have never met in real life. You're pretty far away from me. I am, I am, but it doesn't seem like we've never met. (laughs) Well, it's true. It's true. Like, I mean, the power of the internet is pretty awesome. And um, I, like, I was kind of blown away when I found out you were a horse person. And then I found out more interesting things about you. And I thought, oh, that's, (laughs) so, um, so how are you doing in general? 
I'm doing well. I miss being a horse person, but um, I had horses for many years. My daughter showed we used horses on the farm here in Michigan when I was married to a dairy farmer. And um, as you know, I was part of the um, local sheriff posse, which were deputized uh, volunteer police force for our county. A rural, ah. a rural fo uh, force, um, mm -hmm. you know, fingerprinted and everything. We had cards. We we did everything but carry uh, weapons, uh, but we could call be called out at any time for search and rescue, for security uh, detail, for um, riding patrol with a with uh, other officers if need be. Uh, in the jail, if need be, that those were unusual things, but those were all possibilities. Um, the main right. thing we did so was search and rescue. So you're kinda, yeah, you're kind of getting ahead of of things. I mean, that is that is really <laughs> exciting and interesting. But let's back up. Like, like, did you grow up with horses? Like, did you start out on a farm or? No, I was born and raised <laughs> in in Detroit, Detroit proper, not not a suburb oh, wow. or anything. Um, but I had experience with experiences with horses uh, starting oh around ten or eleven. It's my family yeah. uh, vacationed in a rural area. My mom had ridden horses. My stepdad had ridden horses, including out west. And uh, I already always had an interest in it. Uh, oh but yeah, being in Detroit. Um, there wasn't a lot of opportunity and we certainly didn't have the funds for that at that time, but I married a dairy well, farmer and that was a condition of getting married. <laughs> well, that's, um, that's a big deal. The funds is no joke. Um, yeah. And, and that's basically the way I was too. Like I was always just so passionate, but never had the opportunity until I was older. So it sounds like we kind of started out the same way. That's cool. Yeah. So, so now, so then you said when you, you, you got married, you had, you married a dairy farmer, you had a horse. Um, not right away. Uh, not until my second child was um, four. I think we bought her pony and I had gotten my first horse uh, just before that year, just before my 28th birthday. And mm -hmm. on the farm, we didn't know. We didn't carry mortgages. We paid for things as we went along. So we didn't have a lot of mm. expendable cash. But my husband right. at the time uh, won a used, I think it was a 750 Triumph motorcycle in some raffle somebody was doing. And we were able oh. to we were able to trade that motorcycle in for my first horse, which was a Blue <laughs> Rowan Appaloosa that was pregnant. So I got two for oh, the price of one. Two, two for the price of one. Oh my goodness. So then you had your hands full. Then so, I had my hands full. So, and then we had my daughter's uh, little pony. That, ponies can be, you know, precarious, but this one was just a delight. Oh, that's nice. Do you know what kind of pony it was? Um, It was a little dappled gray Shetland. Oh, wow. Oh, that's cool. And, and my very, friend loves Shetlands. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but so well trained. Well, um, I mean, we went riding in the winter in the snow. And my daughter's just a natural horsewoman. She would take mm -hmm. this pony out with nothing but a barn string under its neck, riding bareback. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what? That is people are getting a lot more back to that uh, type of riding. Mm -hmm. And I went to, I mean, this is about you, not about me, but I went to a camp when I was 12, maybe 12. And I watched the daughter of the camp owner uh, jump this horse. Like she rode this horse everywhere with a string around its neck and she jumped this horse. And I, I went like, I want that. Yeah. I haven't achieved that, but I said, I want that. Yeah. So I, th I think yeah. I told you something wrong. My daughter started riding when she was three and four, but we didn't actually get her pony until she was seven. And that was in preparation oh. for 4-H. Oh, that's good. I love 4-H. 
Mm -hmm. I have a real appreciation for 4-H, not just for horses or anything, you know, like, I mean, just in general, they do such great stuff. Yep. I ended up being a 4-H horse leader. (laughs) Oh, good for you. Wow. That's great. So you said you did some showing. What kind of showing did you do? Um, I only did uh, a couple of Jack Benny classes to my mother's absolute hilarious delight because she was perpetually 39. She never aged. So at some point we crossed paths. Um, so that was local. But my daughter, who I said, you know, was just a natural horsewoman, um, mm-hmm. showed uh, both English, Western, uh, bareback and uh, buggy. Carriage oh, wow. riding, including at age 11, she was reserve grand champion for Michigan in obstacle riding with the carriage. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. I've watched a lot of um, obstacle riding with carriages at Spruce Meadows. So they had quite the competition that they used to, uh, it used to, they used to have people from all over come yeah. to this competition and it was called the battle of the breeds and they would have different breeds there competing to see which one was best and they had to go through all the same things but it was very exciting and very oh, yeah. interesting yeah we um we had a friend who broke all of his horses he owned morgans and broke mm-hmm. all of his horses to buggy first mm-hmm. so that was just a natural extension of what we were doing um she showed when she was real young, uh, like eight and nine, she showed regular English. But when she got her Morgan, uh, she graduated or upped herself to um, saddle seat, which she really enjoyed and used the mm-hmm. same horse for Western and saddle seat. Um, and and buggy uh, all, did all three. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> beauty yeah, of she the would Morgan. Fit right- <laughs> Oh, well, um, okay. So I guess we should, you know, move forward to when you got involved with the sheriff's posse. How did that happen? Um, well, we had gotten my horse and my daughter's little pony and my husband who had, whose brother had had horses when they were younger and had no interest in it in himself, suddenly decided he liked horses too and got his. (laughs) And (laughs) I was doing some freelance writing at the time, and I knew about our local uh, sheriff's posse, uh, and my husband, ex-husband now, but my husband at the time, had gone to uh, school with some of the members. We knew the sheriff personally, and I had done a story for the Detroit News Sunday magazine about the Sheriff Posse Association uh, throughout Michigan. there are, Not every county has a posse, but a good number of them did, ours being one of them. And I went on several rides with them, riding other people's horses uh, before I owned my own. And mm-hmm. I always thought, I'd really like to do that. And at the time, there were no women on the posse. Uh, I was the first woman. I was the only woman on our sheriff's posse for the first three years I was on there. And my husband joined, (laughs) uh, was accepted three years after I, uh, I was added and there's a limit to, uh, of 32 members on the posse at one time. Um, Mm. you had to go through training your horse and you went through extensive training yearly. You got Mm -hmm. a new horse, the new horse had to go through everything. Absolutely. Eventually because of my connection with the, uh, Detroit police mounted division because I had used part of them as part of my background in writing this other article. And I was invited down to the stables in Detroit, met a lot of the um, Detroit mounted police, their, their um, inspector. I think he was just called inspector, the head of the Detroit mounted police, uh, several of their members, Uh, I went to their stables. Uh, I did a story on that part. And I, once I was a member of our local one, I suggested that maybe they would come up and do some of our training with us because their focus was crowd control, which is one of our big focuses, uh, search and rescue and security work. And, um, 
that's how we I ended up doing some training directly with the Detroit Mounted Police and surviving the and still being now on top of my horse at the end of the day <laughs> because it was extensive, uh, but amazing, amazing because what we learned about ourselves and our horses and how to think about training. It wasn't about training our horses to do something in particular. It was about the number one thing we were taught was it was our job to understand what our horse would likely do in any given situation. Right. Which made it um, more useful to us because we knew which horses you could put in a parade front mm -hmm. back near flags, which ones you could walk down the center of the, uh, you know, the annual fair, uh, which ones would be bothered by the um, rides or uh, a small child running up with, you know, holding a candy cane or cotton candy, yep. uh, which ones you had to stick out in the back 40 parking mm -hmm. cars, which were best for search and rescue. And uh, we learned all of that uh, through the extensive training we 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 did. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So uh, when you see sheriff posses in parades, that's not their only function. Needless exactly. To say. Um, yeah. Being a being the um, visible part, you know, that's that's right. a nice thing to do. Uh, right. And that was part of what we did. We did a lot of the parades, including the second largest here in Michigan. Uh, we were in the Frankenmuth parade most years. We had quit mm -hmm. the posse. Our posse had quit going to the Detroit one because um, the route was too long. Um, and where they would put the horses pre-parade uh, was in an area that was too slippery, even with horses with barium on their shoes and, and things. Oh, wow. So we uh, quit considering going to the Detroit parade, but did a lot of the local ones. And like I said, the second largest one um, here in Michigan, which is the 4th mm -hmm. of July parade. So what sorts of things did you have to endure or did you <laughs> and your horse have to endure in the training component of this uh, whole thing? Well, can you give us an example? Yep. We spent three months uh, starting in like late, no, uh, late February, early March, uh, when we, it was not terribly frigid um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be ready for the first uh, horse show season uh, of the year, which is was usually uh, mid or late April. And we would meet in at the fairgrounds, um, mm -hmm. get our horses used to uh, being around the other horses that they would be in close proximity to. Uh, we had been taught um, how to move crowds by positioning a, of a horse because um, people naturally move away from a horse. They don't often, crowds don't often realize they're being moved <laughs> when, right. when a horse is involved. We yeah. had to learn uh, not only voice commands from whoever was in charge of leading our group, but whistle commands and hand commands, because in a noisy situation, you sometimes can't hear the whistle. Mm -hmm. So you had to learn all three of those things, uh, mm -hmm. voice commands, whistle commands, and hand uh, commands. You had to know who was in charge, who was responsible what each of them meant, you know, how you were to line up. Those were, it was almost like uh, leg commands you give when you're training a horse. Every little mm -hmm. thing was a nuanced thing that right. you knew whether to do an oblique or, you know, a diagonal or, you know, columns and how many columns or spread out or things like that. So we did a lot of that. We did a lot of obstacle training. We literally filled our, um, arena barn at the fairgrounds with all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> Milk jugs hanging from the ceiling. We got uh, the strips of uh, plastic that go over the doorways of freezers and cooler units, you know, that people mm -hmm. walk through. So we had yeah. a, um, a small wall of that, that the horses had to learn how to walk through tires mm -hmm. that they had to traverse 
uh, mattresses on the ground, um, all of these things. And it, a lot of it was repetition for the horses. Mm -hmm. They had to become um, comfortable with it. But again, you had to know what your horse is. So, so my horse at the time, wonderful quarter horse, he didn't fidget at any of this. He went through, he was one of those horses I could ride right down the busy midway with all of the lights and the Ferris wheels and everything going and kids running up to him and he never flinched. Then I had another one, uh, one of my Morgans, Piper. Um, he hated parades, was scared <laughs> of his own shadow <laughs> during the day, literally scared of his own shadow, would sidestep his own shadow. But he was great yeah. at parking cars out in the back um, well, that's good. There he you made go. it through the training, um, yeah. and he was in a couple parades. Uh, my horse could be right at the front. I held the the flag a few times. Um, mm -hmm. One of my friend's horses would do everything but hated flags. Absolutely, mm. couldn't even put him near the front because just the flap of a flag would uh, freak him out. But, Extra sensitive um, uh, sounds. The the climax in April was a, a training day, a full training day that we had to pass. And that's when the Detroit Mounted Police came up. They taught us more about the crowd control, about commands. We brought a helicopter in Ooh. that simulated a fair rides. Um, and at the end of the day, we filled that barn that was full of obstacles with smoke. Um, and I don't know, many of your audience probably knows the reason you use horses in crowd control is because horses aren't affected by tear gas. That I did not know. Yeah. that uh, So, no, you know, you can know. go in wearing your goggles and your protective gear and the horses can go in okay without it bothering them. So that's one of the reasons why you can put a horse in that situation. Anyway, we didn't have tear gas, but we we did fill it with smoke to the extent that from one open door on one end to the other end, you could not see the other side. And you walked through one at a time, knowing that at some point they were going to throw live firecrackers under you and your horse. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So when you say smoke, you mean kind of like the fog that they use for yep. concerts? And yep, yeah. exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yep. yep. And I'll tell you, it boosts my confidence. I'm not the best horsewoman in the world in the world. Uh, not like my daughter who can, did a lot of trail riding bareback just because she loved bareback, you know, on a gated Morgan, you know, it's like it was set up for saddle seat. There she'd go. I was, yeah. I just felt so good being on top of my horse at the end of that day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That sounds like a lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, um, can you tell us, you know, anything about the benefits of, of using horses. Um, I mean, you mentioned a little bit about it in terms of crowd control and people don't really actually know they're being moved from place to place because the horses are so big and they're just kind of moving away from them. But I'm sure that there were some benefits of having horses and for community outreach and that sort of thing. It, it was. Um, we provided that friendly face to law, law enforcement for one thing. Mm -hmm. We were extra hands for the law enforcement, you know, in a rural area in particular, the forces are small. Um, mm -hmm. We had a, a lot of state game area and county parks, and mm -hmm. they were used frequently for hunting. Mm -hmm. And somebody gets lost in a 4,000 acre state game area. Um, you're not going to find them real easy. <laughs> Um, and horses are just can get into spots that you can't get it to as quickly on foot or even with ATVs. ATVs were just coming out of, about that time that I was on the posse, the three and four mm -hmm. wheelers. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of our state game area is swampland uh, mm -hmm. or peat. And um, I remember once being called out because a helicopter unit had spied marijuana, uh, cultivated marijuana growing yeah. Yeah. deep in the area of one of the state game areas. And it was the posse that was called out 
to uh, get into that area. And we actually harvested the marijuana, <laughs> which was flown out by helicopter. But even our horses could only get in so far because of the, the peat. Um, right. Our horse's legs literally went down in the peat, like can't, pushing candles into a birthday cake. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm surprised you actually got close to that because they can they can sense the vibrations under their hooves and they know when they're running into ground yep. that's not going to be totally friendly to them. So, yep. Yeah. So when that started happening, we tied them up and we literally crawled in. You would have thought it was a Nicaraguan a jungle, some of the area we had to crawl through to get to this beautifully wide open cultivated <laughs> field that was there. Somebody who worked very hard on that. <laughs> it was, it was. Um, another benefit was security. We did at the fairgrounds. We have in Sandland County, which is the county south of where I live now, uh, we had mm -hmm. two fairs, annual fairs uh, a year. Uh, and in addition to helping to park cars so people could get out, we provided yeah. security um, for the fair. And we were there until two or three in the morning. So I literally mm. you know, started milking cows at 6.30 in the morning, milk yes. cows, worked the farm, milked cows, went and did the security at the, my daughter would show during the day and then I'd hop on the oh same horse to, to do security that night. Um, but we stopped several fights because you could surround somebody, you could isolate somebody if they were fighting yeah. until, mm -hmm. you know, armed officers could show up or someone that had a little more authority. Like I said, we were actual sworn in deputies, but we were volunteer without um, without any weapons. We didn't carry billy clubs. Our weapon, if we needed it, was our horse. Yeah, yeah right. Oh, dear. Wow, that's really interesting. So were, you mentioned something about one of your horses. Like, did you have favorite horses or did you ride I a lot of I did have favorite horses. horses. Um, yeah. My first one that I mentioned that Appaloosa was nice, but uh, she could be finicky. And she, it's a she, <laughs> she it's a mare. <laughs> we love the, uh, she dropped a, a wonderful little uh, colt that we named Nutmeg. I called her Pepper. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then I got my first, we wanted a horse that my daughter could show that when she was transitioning from this little bitty Shetland pony, which was no taller than a normal, you know, dining room table. It was small, yeah. but she could go out and she could saddle it herself and do everything she needed to do herself with it. Yeah. Um, so she was ready for a regular horse. Um, mm -hmm. And I spent $900, got this, um, I think Echo was 15 at the time. And he'd been well-trained. He was a buckskin, tall, a uh, little over 16 hands. Wow. And he was just ideal for us. He was ideal for her. He was ideal for me. Like I said, I'm still learning my way around horses at this point. And yeah. he was the first horse I took into the posse with me. And she ended up winning the top honors at the fairgrounds at age nine or 10. That's known as our Gordy McVay. Wow. Um, no, she got basic dressage with him. She actually won okay. the top uh, award with her Morgan riding saddle seat with a Western judge and wow. nailed Western pattern. And, <laughs> you know, your, your horse people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's really exciting. Um, were there any other favorite or interesting stories that, or incidents that uh, spring to mind? Yeah, I had one other. My last horse was another favorite. Uh, eventually um, gave Echo, uh, that buckskin, uh, to a neighbor for their mm -hmm. little kids to ride. He was, I don't think he passed away until he was like 30. I had him until he was about 27. Yeah. Um, and he got arthritis in his shoulders, which bothered him in the in the rain. But he was still wonderful with little kids, you know. Mm -hmm. So he was basically a pasture horse that had a little kid thrown on him once in a while. <laughs> um, Spanky was my uh, last one, another quarter horse, and another well trained one, not quite as well as Echo, not quite a uh, little more advanced. Uh, he was great, mm -hmm. um, and I had him until after I divorced and moved away from the farm. And then I just couldn't manage. 
I had to work in so much to pay for boarding and and yes. everything that I wasn't I didn't have time to spend with him at the time. Mm-hmm. So I ended up selling him. Yeah. Right. Um going back to the training, something mm-hmm. really interesting happened during one of our training events that surprised all 32 members of the posse that day. And Mm -hmm. I said, we had brought in a helicopter to simulate the fair rides, you know, going up and down and just the motion and the noise. Well, when they, the helicopter first arrived, we had the 32 horses being ridden by the various uh, posse members all in a circle. And the helicopter would land in the circle and take up and land in the circle. And, and not a horse, not one of the horses did anything. They just like, oh, well, what, you know, what kind of deal is this? Then we I guess this is what up, we're doing today. <laughs> yeah. Then we lined up in a straight line and the helicopter flew just behind us enough to put a shadow in front of So the shadow of the helicopter appeared in front of the horse. Every single horse backed up. Yeah. (laughs) It was just, it was, it was, it was like watching the June Taylor dancers. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's interesting. They will do things um, as a group, very, you know, coordinated, won't they? Yeah, exactly. Um, Something else that, happened um we're not in a earthquake zone here in michigan you know we get tornadoes and bad and bad weather um right but there was one i believe it was a july 4th or near there because i know we were coming back from the from one of the local parades and i was hauling two horses with me and i literally had to pull off the side of the road because they were just moving and rocking and I had to see what's up and we pulled over and a few minutes later, they were just fine. And we went on our way. We found out when we got home that that was when the reverberation hit Michigan from a earthquake in Tennessee. Wow. At that exact time. Yes. So they, they had to have been reacting true. to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like when something happens with horses, you really have to stop and think and look, and especially when it's out of character, you know, and you can't just brush it off and say, oh, that's nothing. You're just being a stupid horse because usually there's good reason for it. Oh, exactly. Um, Quite interesting. Yeah. Echo did not like snakes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had one horse that if there was any kind of crackle in an overhead electrical wire, he'd balk. But Mm -hmm. one of those electrical wires actually caught fire one day. And so, you know, he had a right to, to feel the way he did. So I agree with you. Um, They like many animals, they are very intuitive in tune to the energy around them and how it affects them. And You have to well, pay attention to that. They all have their own little personalities and quirks, just like do. we do. It's it's their only way of communicating is by observation and sensing things. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, I, I also find it interesting, um, if I can just hijack the conversation here for a minute. Um, you and I follow hashtags, <laughs> social media <laughs> hashtags. And one of the hashtags on September 26th was... Um, situational situational awareness day are you familiar with situational awareness the term uh i am familiar with the term um i personally haven't followed that through much or anything but i've always been situationally aware (laughs) well and and i think that's the thing is that they tell people you need to be situally situationally aware because you have to be aware of where you are what time of day it is who's around what's you know what's going on and that sort of thing and i just feel that when you're with horses you are hyper situationally aware like it really hones that skill because you have to be aware of what's going on with the wind, what's going on with the light, what's going on with other people around and, and that sort of thing. So I 
posted on my page that uh, if you want to be situationally aware, get with horses. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. It was a wonderful. Um, twice a year, our posse held um, specially a special event afternoon for um, mentally and physically challenged in our county. Mm -hmm. And we bring them to the fair, um, fairgrounds, uh, go into the arena where they could get on a horse and be walked around, um, all carefully orchestrated because we weren't teaching them to ride. It was just a day right. event for them. Uh, and we mm -hmm. knew which, which horses we could use for those. And, uh, and most of my horses were, were good with that, but it was interesting to, see the connection that a horse could make to someone who was physically or mentally challenged and see mm -hmm. them adjust what they were doing to that person as well. You know, yeah. uh, we know that, you know, a horse in particular, if you're all anxious and afraid and, you know, pulling, uh, pulling on the reins, doing all the things, they're only reacting to what they've been taught, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Or it's like, don't do that. I don't, I don't go forward if you pull back on my reins. <laughs> yeah. That's not the way you to do it. You know, you got to put your butt down in the in the seat to move me forward, you know. Right. Um, but to see the horses, uh, some of the ones that could be a little bit hyper or were just spirited, calm themselves down mm -hmm. as if they wanted to be of service to someone they knew was, was not the norm, normal rider for them or the normal situation for them. Yeah. That was, you know, that always brought tears to my eyes at, by the end yeah. of the day, you know, the, the participants were, um, went from a lot of them being fearful of the horse to wanting to know when the, when they could come back, you know, and get in and, yes. and get it get another chance to ride or to pet or whatever. And, and that was always right. lovely to see. Yeah. And I always feel, and I always say that in our urbanized society these days, it's really difficult for people to get to the point where they can have a relationship with horses. I mean, you know, I mean, and insurance and everything makes it extremely difficult. Um, but are sheriff posses still around like they're still yep. a thing they're yep. still a thing um every posse or every county in michigan um and i know there are some in other states but i'm just more familiar with the ones in michigan mm -hmm. every posse that has one in our state operates independently but we belong to the michigan sheriff posse association i'm no longer a member um mm -hmm. but i was very involved going to the state meetings and things at times and the sheriff within that county is the head of the posse. Usually they would ride with the posse or their undersheriff would ride. And how much they did along the lines of being an actual deputy was county specific. The county I'm in now was primarily a parade uh, unit. Mm -hmm. uh, Sanlac County we all pretty much wanted to be involved as much as we could. Like I said, we had two fairs, we had the state game area, we have uh, the most shoreline of any of the counties in Michigan. Uh, so we would patrol, you know, we'd go in our fall ride, we would in the morning either go inland or up the beach and then the afternoon we'd go the other way. Um, but we were, very, very active in the community. The Sandlake County Posse was actually called out to help uh, cordon off the area where Timothy McVeigh mm. had lived, you know, the Oklahoma bomber. He mm -hmm. was, he, his, his house was in Sandlake County and it was the posse that was called out to help secure the area um, wow. after that was discovered. Um my son, who did not really care for horses or riding, but would go on our fall ride with us, um, you know, he's 52 now or something, and 
he still gets a gleam in his eye when we talk about the fact that um, we came across three uh, lost hunters <laughs> and <laughs> one of them rode out back to his car on the back of the horse my son was riding on, you know, so oh. <clears throat> he got to, he got a big kick out of that, that day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a special moment for somebody for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I, I really appreciate you taking the time and I mean, we could sit and yak all day, <laughs> I'm sure. But um, I, I would also like to give you the opportunity if people want to know more about uh, Cat Sturts. How could they find out more about Cat Sturts? Well, thank you for the opportunity. I do mostly uh, business life mentoring now and business mm -hmm. and marketing coaching uh, and various courses related to solopreneur businesses. Um, mm -hmm. Some of my friends, uh, many of my friends are still horse owners and I you know, I work with them as well. And people can find more about me on social media, almost anywhere as Kat Sturts. And my website is rockingyourpath.com. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, give our listeners that great story. And uh, yeah, I don't know if there's an opportunity for you to stay behind in the studio after we uh, stop recording, but uh, you're welcome to do that if you'd like. All right, I will do that. And I want to tell you that I love watching the recordings you do of working with your own animals and the training you do, what I wouldn't have given for something like a GoPro back in my horse days. <laughs> That's just awesome. Oh, great. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank Bye you, Sylvia. Well, a lot of what Kat was talking about uh, with some of the things that they were doing with the horses kind of reminded me of the extreme cowboy race and the clinic sessions that they had uh, that helped the horses get used to the obstacles. That was kind of cool. I mean, those obstacles were a little different, but still, it did remind me of that. So I just want to say, if you enjoyed Kat's interview, why not surprise her? Go to buymeacoffee.com, click on the button, Explore Creators, and find Kat Sturtz. You spell her name K-A-T-S-T-U-R-T-Z. And then surprise her by buying her a coffee. Shh, don't tell her I told you to do this. Okay, well, enough fun. At the beginning of October, I noticed that it was Emotional Intelligence Awareness Month, and I said, hmm, what's that? So I dug in and found out a few things. The suggestion when exploring emotional intelligence in October is to find different approaches to perceiving, understanding, and managing emotions and putting them to work for you. You know, that sounds like what I go through whenever I deal with horses and horses and people, and especially when I work with training my young filly. So I put the question, what is emotional intelligence to Mr. Google? And I came up with the Institute for Health and Human Potential website. You can find it at ihhp.com. They say, and this is a quote, we define emotional intelligence, or EI, as the ability to recognize, understand, and manage our own emotions and recognize, understand, and influence the emotions of others. In practical terms, this means being aware that emotions can drive our behavior and impact people positively and negatively, and learning how to manage those emotions both our own and others. And that's the end of the quote. The website is worth a visit because they say a lot more about emotional intelligence. But by looking at everything they say, I see how it relates strongly to the human-equine relationship. As horse people, we know, you have to leave your ego at the door to the barn. People, just like horses, can be reactive in a negative way but as people, it's up to us to control our emotions so we can make it a better experience for us, for the horses, and for the people we're working with. Sometimes that's people we share the barn with. Sometimes it's students we're teaching. 
In short, and this is really simplified, it's not about you. It's not about how fast you think everything should be done or when horses should do what. It's more about understanding what's happening with them right now, understanding what they already know and whether they're ready for something you want to do with them. One of the stories, well, a couple of stories that I could say as an example of how I had to control my emotions when working with my three-year-old filly, I was doing some tarp work and I had gotten her um, very used to the blue tarp that we had on the ground and, uh, and it took a little something, a little doing, you know, to give her a chance to explore it. But eventually she did go over it and that was no problem. I didn't mind giving her the opportunity to explore it. Then I put down a different colored tarp. It was more like a camouflage tarp. And of course you can't expect the same reaction. So she came up and she was not gonna go over it. And that was okay. I just had to be patient let her explore it all over again and and then she went over it and the thing is is that I could have pushed her and pushed her and made her go over it and said oh you darn horse you know this is not any problem at all let's just do this but by taking the time to let her explore it and go over it at, at her own accord it it really made it not an issue ever she she has never balked at a tarp on the ground or anything on the ground since Another thing that happened was I was leading her in the arena and she never has any problem in the arena. We were going along and all of a sudden she stopped up real short and she just looked. She lifted her head up. So I figured, okay, she must have heard something. So I stopped with her and I listened and I looked where she was looking and I, I couldn't quite figure it out, but I let her take her time she finally settled, she put her head down, and we walked along. So the interesting thing is, is that I do record these sessions with her. And when I looked at the recording, even before she got to the point where she stopped, I went, look, I know exactly what's happening. We happened to be in the arena at a different time of day. And the light was shining through an opening up on the roof, on the side of the wall, and it was very bright. So when she, when she kind of noticed, when she came up across it, and she wasn't really even up eye level with it, she just stopped short. And uh, because I didn't push her, and I didn't push her past it and say, oh, you silly horse, this is no big problem. Let's just go. I don't see what your problem is. I let her really stop, think about it, and absorb it. We went by, and in the video, I can see she was looking at it, which I didn't notice because I had my eyes focused forward when I was leading her. And when we came back, uh, she was on my other side. She didn't balk at it. She didn't have any problem at all. She did look at it, which once again, I didn't notice until I looked in the video because I had my eyes straight ahead. But when you do these kinds of things with horses and with people, when you recognize their concerns and you have a give them a chance to think about it and work through it things can be a lot easier moving forward in so many ways so I just thought that was kind of cool everything they say on the ihhp.com website about the benefits of nurturing your EQ emotional quotient or emotional intelligence EI can be beneficial to your relationship with horses and also can be learned during the human equine relationship when you hone your EQ skills around horses, these skills transfer over into other areas of your life, both personal and professional. So if you want to improve your EQ, I highly recommend having more experiences with horses. Well, that's just my two cents on the matter. Do let me know if you have an opinion on the importance of emotional intelligence and whether you think those skills can be acquired or honed through the human equine relationship. Well, earlier in this episode, I mentioned I'd let you know how to access the podcast archive, which you'd need to do if you want to listen, for instance, to episode 121, where we interviewed a mounted police officer. The episode is called The Bomb Proof Horse, but it's probably not what you think. 
The podcast archive, by the way, is where I can upload an episode. The spoken word is automatically transcribed into text, and that text is searchable by you. The archive is on a private hub that isn't searchable by Google. The easiest way to access it is to go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash equinelyinclined and there's a pinned or featured video at the top of the page. Play it to get a sneak peek of the hub and learn how you can access it. If you aren't on Facebook, send an email to me using podcast at canadaequine.com and put about the podcast archive in the subject line. I'd be happy to help you out. Speaking of the Facebook page, did you know that when you like the podcast Facebook page, you'll hear your name when we welcome you at this spot in our next episode? In case you missed it, remember you can find the Equinely Inclined Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash equinelyinclined. It's always nice to welcome our newest visitors to the Facebook page. So while you're at the page, click the like or follow button. Facebook keeps changing what it's called and we'll welcome you here in the next episode. Remember, if you're not on Facebook and want to be in touch, you can reach me by email at podcast at and please put about the podcast in the subject line so the email doesn't get lost. Thanks. So speaking of which, right now we'd like to give a big welcome to Catherine from Australia, Mohammed from somewhere, Stacy from Virginia, Rhonda from somewhere, Sharon from somewhere, that somewhere is a really popular place, Kerry from Oklahoma, Annika from Ireland, Laura from PEI Canada, Rose from South Carolina, Lisa from Illinois, and Marg also from somewhere. So I would like to just talk a little bit about the next episode because I want you to know that I'm planning to stick to a schedule of a new podcast episode every two weeks with some modifications around holidays and I might stick an extra episode in here and there. If in doubt, head to the Facebook page to see if there's an announcement about the podcast. So until the next episode, bye for now and give your horses big hugs for me.